in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. Today, joining me is my good friend and my co-host from Austin, Texas. Oh, excuse me, from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Devin McKenna, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Ready to start in a new year of wonderful podcasting. And you know what? I'm excited about this. You know why? Tell me. We got a first-time guest on the show, a good friend of mine, my former roommate, and from Tennessee, Dustin Melbardis. Say hello, Dustin. Hello, Dustin. Hello, lords and ladies of the of the round table. It's Sir Dustin. So, Dustin, nobody knows anything about you. Now we're going to try and ask you these questions to get to the very core of who you are as a human. What's the last movie you saw? I had to like figure this out because I, guys, I don't want to surprise you or blow you away, but I don't watch a lot of movies. But the last movie that I saw was the Grand Budapest Hotel. I rewatched it. Uh, love that movie. That is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I don't think that's even a hot take. I, I like it. Uh, yeah, but, but I, with with Wes Anderson, all of his stuff I like. I don't revisit the early stuff as much as I revisit The Life Aquatic or um, uh, The Grand Budapest I revisited. Um, I did miss Isle of Dogs, but I will get around to it someday. Yeah. So, Devin, what movie is it we're doing today? Today, we are going to be reviewing The Adjustment Bureau. All right. So, The Adjustment Bureau, as Devin mentioned, comes out in the year 2011. It grosses $62.4 million. It places at 53rd on the box office that year. It comes in behind the movie Unknown and ahead of Happy Feet 2. And uh, the number one movie that year was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. It made a gajillion dollars. Uh, IMDb rates the Adjustment Bureau 7.0. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics give it 71%, and the audience score gives it a little bit lower at 67%. No major awards to talk to. So let's get right into it. Dustin, had you seen the Adjustment Bureau before? What were your expectations coming into it this time? Yeah, I, I, I saw the Adjustment Bureau in theaters, and uh, well, I was really excited about it. I don't know if it was the trailer, which I did rewatch. I don't know if you guys did, but if it was the trailer that got me hyped for it, I, I don't know if it was because uh, John Slattery and Mad Men, he was, he was writing a high. I, mean, I, I don't know much else about his career, but I'm like, ooh, I'm, I'm down to see this. And I realized that like this type of movie where things, aren't quite as they seem where something is a little bit off is the like exact type of movie that i like my uh when i when i searched for this movie other things that came up were minority report uh um edge of tomorrow uh, which both of those i also saw in theaters this is just like my kind of movie where things are just a bit outside of reality yeah yeah and by the way, if you go farther out of reality, say in Inception, is that too hard or is this your happy spot or you, you just like getting out of reality? Inception ruled. Okay. Yeah. 
Inception was great too. When it's close, when it's just like a little close, that's when it's it's pretty great. That's what I like. Yeah. And uh, do you feel like it's holding up over time for you? I, I definitely think that it holds up. Uh, the feel of the movie holds up. The one thing that maybe doesn't hold up, and only because of this, the discomfort of this most recent election is that there's a lot of election talk there's a lot of like waiting for the votes to come in and planning and it makes me think of this current political disaster and so that's i just want to get that out of my head but the rest of the surreal and nobody knows who's going to win this election we're still counting it because the election could be stolen if we don't count them all over all over again mass corruption <laughs> that's what they call corruption and we have big corruption I, I as long as i can get that out of my head i i, I realized i was watching the movie again this morning just kind of like have it on like i would keep this movie on if, if i were flipping through the channels you know what i mean yeah absolutely now devin how about you had you seen this one before i have yes i have uh so i i saw this movie the first time Probably four or five years ago, I want to say, came across it randomly. Uh, oh, wow, that's a pretty popular movie. I feel like I've never really seen it. So I watched it and I was pretty captivated. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Coming back to it now, what were your expectations coming in and see, coming back to it a second time? Rewatch value? Uh, definitely worth it. Uh, I was very excited when we had talked about uh, you know the preliminaries of this podcast and, and what movie we were going to do. We, when you said the Adjustment Bureau, you gave me my options, or whatever, and I uh, I immediately was like, "Yep, that's the one for sure." Yeah, you were you were you were taken by it at first. Like I was on the fence, you're like that one, that one. That's a great and movie. So I am excited to do it. Yeah, I'm excited to do it because I have uh, not seen it before. So I like I'm I'm your fresh eyes on this one. So I'm a Matt Damon fan. I like adjustments and bureaus and I thought this was going to be a win. So, uh, I was not disappointed. It had, it had, it had both adjustments and bureaus in them. And I, I it, did. it worked for me. <laughs> you had me at bureau. <laughs> yes. And so, uh, but kidding, yeah, kidding aside, I, I didn't know what to expect really. And I got a more playful movie. I had initially anticipated. So, um, I, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Because I don't know, I think Matt Damon, and I think I'm going to get into a Bourne movie every time. That's not fair, because he's got more variety than that, but he's just so Jason Bourne to me, I'm I'm ready to go there. Is yeah. he more Jason Bourne, think, or is he more Goodwill Hunting? I think he's more Jason Bourne. i, I got to agree with Russell here. Uh, and, and what you said was this was a more playful movie than you thought. This movie, when you try to describe it, is a romance movie. It's a love story. The rest of the Adjustment Bureau involved, we'll get into it, but that, like, this is a love story between Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. And I didn't, I didn't think about it that way until rewatching it. Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's all this is with the extra surreal Adjustment Bureau everywhere around you playing into it as an obstacle. Yeah. Now, I think we're coming up to the point where we're going to have to spoil this movie to go in deeper. So this is your final warning for those li that are listening. If you haven't seen the Adjustment Bureau, you're going to want to see it and come back and enjoy it. Uh, so go check it out if you have not. Or if you're not spoiler-verse, then hang in there. We'll be back after these messages. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. All right, we're back. And uh, we're going to spoil this movie from here on out. So if you haven't seen the Adjustment Bureau, then uh, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. Now, Devin, for those of people who have not seen the Adjustment Bureau since 2011, 
sorry, 2001. Do you want to refresh on people's memories and let them know what happens in the Adjustment Bureau? Absolutely. So our plot summary goes something like this. Uh, Mr. David Norris, played by Matt Damon, uh, is an up and coming politician. But on a night when he loses his congressional election, a chance meeting with a stranger, Elise Sellis, played by Emily Blake, uh, inspires him to make a brilliant concession speech that clearly makes him the front runner for the next time around. They meet again by chance a few years later and are intent on seeing each other once again. What they do, they don't realize that there's a mysterious group of men calling, on this, uh, calling themselves the Adjustment Bureau, who seems intent on keeping them apart. Soon, David and Elise are on the run with the Bureau, trying their best to separate them as they try to maintain David's uh, predetermined future. It's pretty, um, honestly, pretty good explanation. Yeah, and I mean, they put, uh, you know, David ends up pushing against what the Bureau wants and chooses to push for love and against all everything else and uh it actually ends up working out and they rewrite the plan for him and emily or sorry for him and at least so that they can be together and that has been retro movie roundtable we've covered everything and <laughs> uh good job guys yeah so dustin you were mentioning this is primarily a romance movie too i was going to kind of ask this movie is kind of walking through some genres or some fusion of a couple different things what is this movie if, if you were to try and break it down for somebody with fresh eyes uh like myself uh up till a week ago what would you have said what is this movie well uh, first let me say that Devin's Devin's explanation was really good like that's a, that's that's maybe the best way you could put it uh, but it's it's a love story right uh, these two people are drawn to each other uh, and it's meant to be that way until some obstacle something that is it's not is it science fiction the way they use the doors is it fantasy is it magic we see all this stuff in the trailer we see all this stuff that the adjustment bureau can do but some supernatural obstacle is in the way of their love question mark and that's where you're thinking well why why does this matter and the movie will explain why it matters and i i, I like the scene where it where it happens with terrence stamp but uh you're you're kind of wondering why can't these people just be together and the movie tells you um but eventually i mean it ends if, if you were to say this is a love story where a guy rushes to stop a wedding you would think of any other rom-coms but that's the end of the movie <laughs> he is running to stop someone from saying i do the classic like marriage trope um so then you explain the reasons for why the bureau is getting in the way um i think that's maybe the fun part of the movie that you wouldn't want to explain to someone you just say just just watch it and, and let them let let them do their job of, of why they're incessantly trying to stop this from happening yeah yeah i mean there's, so there's elements of mystery in here as well as well as kind of a bit of a thriller like the you know it's the way it's portrayed is kind of uh you know, it, I would say it's a thriller, but don't go in and expecting like bang, bang, shoot him up kind of thing. But uh, it's a it romance fantasy thriller. Yeah. Like that's a that's an unusual combination of things. You know, I mean, that's not a sandwich they make at this deli very often. They're like, OK, yeah. Egg salad and ham. OK, sure. That sounds good. Sure. Whatever. Yeah, yeah I'm sure you'll like it. Somebody will like it. That's why I, I think that's a, that's why this movie really holds its value uh, and has over the years, because it's not your typical your standard love story. It's not your standard sci fi movie. It's not any of that. It's it's like a culmination of all three of those things or uh, honestly, multiple genres in, all in one. So it, it's a great watch. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think, Devin, uh, as a romance movie, this movie probably is one that maybe guys can put their arms around a little bit more than your typical romance movie or or, or a rom-com or something like that. Why is this romance movie something that isn't necessarily defined as a chick flick, per se? To you? Do you know what I find uh, most acceptable for a man to watch this movie and i say that with uh <laughs> most men don't watch romance movies it's typically the ladies but i think honestly what i found most enjoyable about this romance uh is that it felt so genuine uh yeah. between the two people you know between matt damon and uh, and emily blunt it was it was more like realistic, you know, it was something that like almost I could see myself uh, joking around with my wife in the ways that Matt Damon and Emily Blunt were joking around, like when they were on the bus, uh, for instance, mm-hmm. um, Emily Blunt was taking a nap the first time that Matt Damon had seen her since, uh, you know, since the whole bureau had had shown itself and that whole situation occurred. Um, Matt Damon had made a joke uh, that he wasn't, you know, that Emily Blunt was wearing a, a belt instead of a skirt. And I thought it was funny because it's things like that, that, you know, you don't see in, in a standard romance movie, you know, it was more, it was more along the lines of real life. Uh, this is how a, an actual couple might act uh, versus what Hollywood would portray. I completely agree. I completely agree with what you're saying. It, it, it feels real. Exactly. Even with the crazy time jumps in the, in the movie, it feels as if, wow, they really belong together. This is natural. Right. Dustin, do you feel like it makes a difference whether the protagonist is female versus male? Like, does that make it easier for the male audience to come in and say, like, yeah, I'm on board for this romance movie, the fact that it's told through David's perspective? I think the answer is yes, but like that's that's not my answer. I like female leads. Um, I like romance movies if, when I watch movies. If, I, I, I don't feel as if uh, that is an obstacle to me enjoying a romance movie. Um, you know, and but then I'll, I'll I'll turn around and say, well, yeah, but I'm also not going to go watch Twenty Seven Dresses, right? I'm not. I don't. I don't really. That is a movie. I think that is more easily uh for a female that, audience that's too many dresses for you right, right? <laughs> will you say that again that's just too many dresses for you right i mean like i mean maybe 25 dresses but i will cut it off there 27 is far too many dresses yeah far too many dresses and and i don't even have any place to keep them and it's not like we're over, we're overlapping colors already too many dresses but uh as far as a, as a male lead in a romance um movie do anything for me i'd watch it regardless i'd watch it regardless but they do the romance so well in this movie that it, it's one of the like the hidden joys of a movie about this it's called the adjustment bureau but it's about the love story yeah it i like that you got this man from this rigid political world which i would never want to be in because like you gotta be this character that's like you know engineered and they kind of alluded to that in his concession speech and here's this very free-spirited creative woman from outside of that world and i i totally get why if you're in that system somebody like this would appeal to you um and that on itself they're both developed enough so many so many romance movies that are they create a very blank slate so that sometimes an audience member, particularly maybe a female audience member, can project themselves onto the character. And this time they don't do that. They're developing both characters. And I like that a lot. Again, the blank slate, you know, that's I think this is where so many romance movies get it wrong. Just give us two characters and develop them all the way. And they did that here. 
I'm with you. I'm with you, man. You, you want to see them together. The scenes that they share, you, 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 you like them. You smile. The, uh, you know, I know later in the show we do like quotes and stuff. Um, what, what does he say when he gets, when she gets off the bus? It, it rules. What he goes, uh, yeah. Hey, the morning after the election, I woke up thinking of you and she smiles and it's like a real smile. Like it, it's, it's, it's that's real life. It, it's, 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 it's fluid. Part. Yeah. It's real life. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I liked is uh, this movie also puts you in a tense spot where they make you make a choice between success, uh, both for each of them, as well as or happiness. Which will make you happier? Do you want to be with somebody who you love and have that special feeling about? But it will take away his dream to be president and her dream to become an amazing dancer, uh, like a premier world-renowned dancer, like at the top of her craft. And both of them will fall short of their dreams if they're together. And that puts him in a tough spot where it's like, I might even be able to give up my dream, but I have to take her dream as well, too. And that's that's a weighty theme of this movie. I think that's where the intensity comes from in this movie. Like, aside from the fact that the Adjustment Bureau is constantly watching and Matt Damon is always looking, you know, looking over his shoulder. I think that's a lot of the intensity is like the decision making is really going to weigh in the end on how this whole thing plays out. So throughout the movie, it's like, oh, my God, what does he do? You know, Yeah, I think it's important that you brought that up because the Adjustment Bureau has been around forever. We're talking about the love story, but it's the title of the movie. The Adjustment Bureau has been around forever. They do a lot of really important things to make sure things go according to plan, uh, averting world crises or, uh, you know, stopping coups from happening. Like, like there's a giant plan for the whole world. But this movie is about this romance and why is important for like the ambition towards presidency and the only thing that Elise is that Elise ever wanted, which was to be at the top of her, her field, the only thing she ever cared about. The the intensity is within this just the one like blip on the world radar. Um, and you get sucked in and the world sucks you in. It's a great, a great world. Uh, environment building was was awesome with this movie. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting thing that uh, you can take away in your own life. Um, you obviously will be more successful if you pour 100% of whatever it is. Like as an architect, if I go back and look at it, a lot of the greatest architects throughout history often are, I won't say obsessive, but that's their first, second and third thing in their life. They're in the studio, you know, 16 hours a day. And some of them even literally roll out like a mat and they're staying there. I mean, obviously mid-century being kind of a different time in some cases, but I mean, some of these architects are terrible family men like frank lloyd wright went through like five different wives was a horrible father and you know i mean a lot of quote-unquote architectural heroes are kind of lousy people outside of their profession there are exceptions but i mean to be that awesome at something you have to really put your work your work and your time into it same thing music like if a musician has to dump that much time of it it falls on another spouse member to pick up all of the heavy weight and lifting for the family so i kind of see a lot of what they're talking about there of do you want to be hands-on and be there for this person? Do you want to actually give up enough of yourself to be happy through romance and which is more rewarding? Do you want to have that person in your life or do you want to reach all of your professional goals and what is more rewarding for you? It really does make you think if you put yourself in that that mindset, it's like, oof, it's a, it's it's honestly a very possible thing for an everyday person. It's it's not something so far fetched, so Hollywood driven that it's not something that could really happen in life. And that, I think, is another reason why it's so captivating 
uh, for the guys. Dustin, what did you think about the bureau itself? Like, like how it was presented in this movie? Speaking of the things that was realistic, which is the romantic love, and then going to the thing that is not realistic, which is maybe the most fun part of the movie, is this developed world of what the Adjustment Bureau is and what they have been and how they exist and do their job. Um, I That was probably the aesthetic it, that brought me to the movie, I think. Um, as I may have mentioned before, like the, the John Slattery and... Uh, madman the, the suits of the 60s and you've got this futuristic almost like mafia looking group of guys with their hats and their suits and they are both representing like relics of a time when deals were made in leather backed booths and uh, clearly the, the wardrobe shows like how this world is their headquarters in the city is uh is retro you can speak more to the architecture clearly mr architect but i just fell in love with the look of it and then you don't want to get into it too much you don't want to get into the crunchiness of how they work really you see anthony mackie's character point at the bus and make the coffee spill you see that from a block away you see john slattery's character raise a bit of metal just a little bit to make matt damon trip there's other like that's magic am i right but that's that's not just like the hats and the doors they have magic abilities they do it's like is they that how you describe the, it it's like they can see the butterfly effect and they actually know all the ripples and so they are steering things nudging things knowing what the full butterfly effect of each thing is it's a tool i, I in the bureau i i would assume that they're able to do these things in order to change the direction or change the paths of uh you know of everything and sometimes, sometimes what we see is very, and this is one of the things I loved about the movie is the behind the scenes work of the Bureau when they're, they're watching David, David Norris, they're, they're watching Matt Damon's character. What's he going to do? Oh, he's going to, he's going to go try the hard line in that booth. I already knocked it out. Well, he's going to run across the street. I took out everything for three blocks. Uh-huh. There's a bunch of times that they're doing things in the restaurant where they're like, send that text now. Turn the power off at that. Some of the things are just like mechanical based on the world of New York. But and and there's a lot of them that are just like that. Like the coincidences that could seem like chance. That's half of it. That's probably more than half of it. But the other half is I can make your coffee spill by, I don't know, adjusting the wind. Did he bump the bus with telekinetic force? I don't know that, and we never get that explained to us. It's just a thing they have, a tool, like you said. It's a thing they can do. Yeah, and it's fun because they're fallible. Like, these are not, like, angels that, with divine powers of, like, precise execution. You know, if they're, you know, daydreaming or something, like, they'll miss their cue. They make mistakes. They have to clean up each other's messes. They resent each other. And that that is part of the playfulness that is fun about this, you know? Agreed, 100%. I think... Uh... Again, just another testament to why this movie is so it doesn't get old. It's something you can always go back and rewatch. It's fun. It, it, it can captivate any audience. Yeah, it is fun. It is. It is. And, and Russell, you said it like this is a, this was playful. It is still playful. Um, even the way that uh, the bureau sometimes when they're having to act quickly or uh, 
you, you, you know, sometimes they will, their banter between each other is like, oh, these people are, they have personalities and they are these uh, very long living beings. They've been called angels. They do a very good job of never telling you exactly what they are. Um, so there's, there, there's a, uh, there's, there's a playfulness throughout the movie, even when things are tense. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked how like their names were Thompson, Richardson, Harry, like it, these are elaborations of kind of this Tom, Dick and Harry, which are like these anonymous, like mid-century terms, you know, that, uh, you know, and even also the Philip K. Dick short story had characters of Tom, Dick and Harry kind of, again, John Doe kind of like generic names and that was a fun little tip of the hat to the source material well, you you had you had told me that and i was like that is a cool tip of the hat um it reminded me of the matrix which russell you lived with me i probably watched that every month for the entire time we lived together the matrix one of my favorite franchises but the smith brown and jones those are the agents involved and then matrix reloaded when they get uh the upgrades the upgrades fight scene uh those upgrades are Thompson, Johnson, and Jackson. They were just looking for like the unassuming names. Uh, these are the most common like surnames possible. Uh, I got it. Reminded me of yeah this this genre of where things just aren't quite like they seem like Looper. Things just a little different. Uh, that's that's what gets that's, it will keep you enthralled. And I'll like like we said I'll I'll keep it on or rewatch it anytime. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Devin, there's a bit of a theme of free will versus predestination in this movie did you enjoy that and what where did you kind of see that playing into this oh man free so uh, there was a moment uh who was it um terrence stamp at the end he, he was talking about comments and he, he made a quote um that i'm not going to reveal because i feel like it's going to be brought up already so i'm not going to spoil it for anybody but he was talking about how we think that we have free will when we really don't. They're all in control. So I feel I feel like the it, <laughs> this is where I bring this movie into my real life. And I start thinking, wow, is this really maybe a thing? Do we really have free will? I I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really hard to explain. But when I was watching the movie, it really got me thinking like, wow, do we have control of our free will? Are there outside influences that change the way that things happen every day in our lives? You can really. I mean, as as science fiction as this movie might be, do we really have free will? Is it really up to us for everything or does everything around us play the part in how our lives turn out? I will say when I was watching this, I did not start thinking about my own life and free will. I with this movie and some of the rules that they establish and the assumptions that you have to understand if for the world to work, I had, it was just distant enough. That's when it distanced itself away from my experience of did something adjust the way I went to work today that saved me 30 minutes. Cause I didn't, uh, get caught by the train tracks or did I, did I get to work safely because I missed an oil spill or something? Take the rest of tonight to think about everything that's ever happened in my life. But I went ahead and just kept that in its own little compartment in the world of adjustment bureau. Does it uh, scare you? Wet blanket on, Does on it the... scare you to think that maybe, Oh man, just maybe. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it reminds me, uh, there's that, the dichotomy of it, it, it's either true or it's not. 
Exactly. It is either true that there's something out there controlling how you do your things or it's not. Um, and it reminds me of a quote about extraterrestrial life. Don't know where I heard it, but it was either it is a dichotomy. Either we are alone in the universe or we are not. Both options are equally terrifying. And honestly, there are, you know, there can be different denominations even within the same religion that split on this issue. I mean, uh, I'm going to use Christianity as an example because I know it. Because, like, in the Bible, there's passages that say there is predestination. There's many examples of it. But then there's other people who then say, you know, it's up to you to find forgiveness and to go search for that. And so it, it is confusing. This is literally a debate that you end up having in real life. So to Devin's point, I was kind of leaving there going like, oh, this is this is a classic, you know, debate. There's contradiction in, in own scripture and stuff out there. So whether you believe in predestination or whether you believe in free will or is there a way that free will will go and then just God knows your plan? I mean, it's, it, it's a bit of a, it's, it's a weighty concept. And anytime you go and enter that theme, I like the playfulness. So if, whether you believe in fate and whether you can beat your fate, that's what character, that's what David does. And I mean, it's one thing if your parent says, you, you better not go out with that girl, but somehow it's even like, and that makes you want to do it. But if somehow some mysterious divine, yeah. like a bureau says, you can't be with that girl. You're like, I'm going to be with that girl. You know, like that's that's not just uh, that's not just your family telling you don't do it. It's just like the man, big brother's telling you not to do it. And you're like, I'm going to do it. Right. You're just pushing against the grain. Yeah. Ooh, we were talking about movies, not books. I love 1984. Maybe that's what got me started into this, like the, the genre that I like. Uh, yeah. Uh, being being told you can't. Um, and sometimes David does feel like he gets little wins. Sometimes, sometimes he feels like I'm pushing back against this force. Um, it, it, it makes me think of, it, it makes me think of the back and forth of this movie of the time jumps help when he's on his path towards um the senate when he's on his path back towards elise it there's it it, it reverbs like it goes back and forth so much and it does it so well that um you don't like, like i mentioned i was watching a little bit this morning you don't want to look away like i wouldn't be able to not sit down and watch it uh, like I, I i don't think i could have it on and not be paying attention to all the little mini scenes throughout it it, it, it works it it's just true. works there's so much that's going on uh and it's so much you're trying to take away from it at the same time you really have to pay attention and if you don't you're, you would very well get lost no. you could easily miss the three-year jump i mean it's only three seconds exactly it's three years later now exactly it's 11 months later now so this is a Philip K. Dick short story called The Adjustment Team that this is based on. He's the author who did Blade Runner, Minority Report, and some other awesome works out there. So this is a kind of a titan of science fiction here who wrote this. And it was driven by a fascination of how things happen and why uh, we are the people we are. And the film limits uh, the visually surreal ending of the story. So like that part of it, like the wackiness of the world happens more in the back quarter or third of the movie whereas in the short story that's this you're you're diving into that world of like your topsy-turvy world is happening way sooner but uh, before i go too far in this one dustin did you get into the sky at all the uh the short story let me tell you how far i got into it uh russell so uh you sent me a link that said like hey you might want to look at this this is like a comparison of the the movie to the book and i opened the link <laughs> so that's how far I got into it, Russell. Yeah, it's, it's okay. 
I did open it. I, I, I almost read it. It is six pages long, but um, but uh, no. Uh, anyway, the um, the adjustment team is very different. There's not like this political running for office kind of setup. So there's this is quite a divergence from the source material, in that that you kind of have these agents talking to a dog to try and make sure something happens. And so that was an interesting part of the book that didn't make it to this of uh, agents could take the form of animals and other forms in there. Uh, but anyway, instead of men in suits and hats, they're, they're men in lab coats chasing him around. And uh, so he goes to his office and they're basically got everything. Everybody's suspended there, which they put that into this movie. And uh, he finds his boss being replaced by a doppelganger, basically invasion of the body snatcher style. And uh, uh, I'm sorry, not quite that way because it's a younger person and they had to put a younger person in there. So but nobody would notice sort of thing. So, you know, so he has walked in and seeing this and then he goes back home and his wife says, like, what happened? So she's like, I'll go with you to check it out. And everything seems to be back to normal. And he finds out he was also intended to be replaced. And so he's kind of racing from the clock. But the book finishes in this really unrewarding way of like, you know, no strong resolution. He ends up going back and staying quiet and everything kind of is going on in this kind of Twilight Zone dark irony thing. I think the movie actually, I don't know how you feel about the political race, but I feel like the ending of this is far more of a payoff than what the short story had. So... It was released in 1954. Wow, that's impressive. And they picked it up later on. That's crazy. It sounds like um, the original adjustment team in the lab coats is there's still maybe like a um, not an homage, but there's a part of that in this movie, the adjustment bureau, which is what is called the intervention team, which is the uh, the group of the I I have to assume that they were all men in this in this world, but uh, like the the people in like the riot gear and the black face mask shields. Um, who were who actually froze his friend uh, Charlie Charlie Trainer? Yeah, his, his uh, the guy who ran his campaign. Like when, that's more. Oh, I didn't mention it before. That's more magic. They froze a whole room of people, and they're extracting. Um, the dialogue from their phone conversation with these futuristic tools, and Richardson and his partner just kind of sitting there relaxing. And that's the first time that, that Matt Damon's character interacts with the, that's the intervention team, part of the adjustment bureau. Once again, a very cool world building thing where it's like, we have departments here. We have a hierarchy of who is working for who. Everyone's got a boss, except for the chairman. So like there's, there's I feel like, I feel like the lab coat part of the, the, the short story, there's a little bit remnants of that in the, in the, in the, in the movie. You think so? Yeah, I do. I mean, I mean, I think they made a nice amount of diversion, but also I think they stayed true to it at the same point. And like I said, I think they made it more rewarding, particularly in the back quarter of the movie. What do you think about more rewarding, Devin? Do you think it was uh, how rewarding did you feel uh, with this movie? I mean, at the end, when are you talking about the book versus the movie? No, just the movie. Just so the movie I, I was with, wondering what you guys were going to say about the end. At the end, when when uh, what is it? Anthony Mackie is basically giving him the rundown and and uh, talking to him, which is honestly, I know at the point in the show, I might be jumping ahead, but we talk about our favorite quotes. But Anthony Mackie uh, is talking to him about how he, essentially he's free. 
uh, and they've made the, you know, the changes that they need for him to live his free life. I think it was extremely rewarding because all through, through all the trials and tribulations that him, uh, him as in Matt Damon and Emily Blunt had gone through, they finally got their release to live their life, uh, in their, in their own free will. Um, and I think it was extremely rewarding, honestly. I, I have to say that I also think it's rewarding when you can use your own. The way I found it was they, their ambition and their risk taking. I believe what Harry, Anthony Mackey's character, says is um, it, it inspired the chairman to change the plan. So it was there. It was being impulsive and risk taking and being completely driven towards no one's going to tell me what to do. I make my future. That's, I think, is what you're supposed to take away. I, I, I don't know. I can't tell you, like an English teacher, what you're supposed to take away. But that's what, that, that's what leaves me satisfied, is that you tried at something. You tried really hard. You wouldn't quit. Yeah, he, Harry kind of says that, you know, this, I think this is what the chairman, the God figure in the movie, wants from you. I think he wants you to be that passionate, that, yes. that, 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 yes. that, that confidence, that belief in what you have. That's what he wants in you. And you had a fire, and so he rewrote the plan to incorporate that into the plan. Whereas if you didn't have that, then it would have just traveled along. And I think he wants you to have that because it's good. It's a force of love. The power of love. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's it, it worked though, and, and that's even like there's there's so much about. I mean, yes, the first time guest don't know how the show goes, but I I mean I've I've listened to a couple, but uh, you mean you've listened to all of them and they're fantastic. <laughs> yeah, t- 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 talking about the ending now, like, but there's so much in the like to get there um we barely even mentioned terrence stamp uh the hammer um thompson the hammer yeah let's talk about let's talk about the cast a little bit go ahead you can talk about thompson if you want to oh it's just it's it's uh your david and elise's um well really it's david's work against the bureau you forget like upon rewatching, i say you forget i forgot that like oh yeah everybody else in the world is in the dark about the adjustment bureau so uh all these interactions um between uh damon and uh blunt he knows something that she doesn't and that's a fun thing to do like as an audience it's fun to know something the characters don't know um but like his drive towards love is so powerful that they have to bring in the hammer to stop it very very fun um and the scene from the trailer i don't know i've brought it up before that kind of freaks you out that makes it a little creepy when you see uh thompson standing over the bed while they sleep you gotta admit though when they say they're gonna bring in the hammer are you not at least a little bit disappointed that he doesn't have mc hammer pants and he's going oh with a suit top yeah here comes the hammer it's hammer time here here comes hammer yeah i mean i was pretty disappointed he couldn't even dance he did not even dance like MC Hammer. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, maybe on the third rewatch, I put a little more analytical thought into why isn't it fucking Hammer time? We don't know. We just don't know. I mean. <laughs> uh, what do you think about the chemistry between Emily Blunt and Matt Damon? Devin, like, did you like the leads in this? I, I 100%. I thought it was a perfect match. Uh, Emily Blunt, I feel, and I, I don't mean to make it more personal, but 
Emily Blunt really reminds me of my wife. So I found a lot of uh, I found a lot of awesome traits in her that like I could see she just has a great attitude. Like she's just kind of free flowing. And Matt Damon is this political figure and he's all like follow the line up until that obviously that famous speech that he made. But he was obviously influenced by Emily um, in the movie. So it was nice to see I, 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 I go back to where I say it's more it's so realistic is because she was such a free-flowing spirit and how she she acted as a as a normal human being it really it made it so much more lifelike for me because I, my wife is almost the same way she makes those little snarky comments and she makes jokes about a lot of stuff and it was just I think it was a perfect setup for the cast honestly Devin, I liked it too, but there, there was the only thing that I felt was maybe not what I would have expected was, and it's maybe because this character is written this way, but um, when they wake up in bed and he had gone to get coffee and uh, she had gotten four calls from Adrian, her ex, and he says, oh, like, who was it? The fact that she didn't lie about who it was, that's the thing that makes me think, oh, that's that's bullshit. That's a little no, bit Hollywood. The girl, the girl is not going to tell you who she's talking to on the phone. <laughs> but My wife but probably again, would. Was, <laughs> or at least I hope she would. <laughs> yeah. Your wife would tell you if it was, oh, this is weird. My ex just uh, called me four times in the morning. But I will say, uh, and I know that, Russell, you would ask about that relationship. I, I concur. It's, it's, it, I think it works great. But the uh, <clears throat> when... David realizes that, wait a second, you were called by your ex this morning four times. And, and that's when the, the paranoia, which has already been present, I think he does a great job showing that. It's not Truman Show level paranoia, which I got Truman Show vibes from this movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, that was the first thing I compared it to. I actually like this more than the Truman Show. Really? Yeah. Uh, I feel like Truman Show has some inconsistencies in the tone of the movie. It's such a breakneck snap once the reveal is gone in that where where um, and then the tone of the movie shifts rather dramatically, whereas this I felt like was, you know, they, they reveal it much quicker and the love story is far more forefront of this one. So there's a lot of tonal things that aren't such a abrupt change. It's not quite as sad. And you have that pursuing your love through this that. Call me maybe it's just the the optimism that is in this. This is a this is a better feeling experience to go through than say the Truman Show, which is kind of this existential like oh my whole world you know doesn't it's fake you know kind of thing. You're you're right about the breakneck uh, tone change in Truman Show, um, and in Truman Show you kind of do see the chairman, and the Truman Show chairman is Ed Harris. I don't know. what's his name like Kristoff or something. Yes, his name is Christoph. Oh, it it's played by Ed, Ed Harris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, but you do see the chairman there. I think keeping the chairman uh, behind closed doors um, is good for this movie. But uh, the, the, we, we were still on the chemistry between Blunt and, and Damon. And even even the way she asks, like, is everything okay? When he's kind of like subtly looking over his shoulders. Um their their banter is it's it I, it's hard to say that it's perfect but it's so believable and real it is and i i think at that point is another is another that's that's how you like de decipher the love story and the sci-fi and everything because then it goes like right back to okay and his his antics start changing a little bit he gets a little more worried kind of looking over that shoulder feeling 
And that's where it goes back into like the action and the sci-fi and it really gets your mind going, oh man, what's going to happen next? Well, interesting. You mentioned, so you guys both give good marks to both of them. Uh, in a, so when asked, you know, President Obama was in 2011 giving a White House Correspondents Dinner and uh, he had received criticism from Matt Damon for saying that, uh, you know, the Obama presidency was a disappointment and uh, to which Obama responded, uh, Matt Damon said uh, he was disappointed in my performance. Well, Matt, I just saw the Adjustment Bureau. Solid burn. Solid yeah. burn from a... <laughs> it holds the weight. It's a great movie. Obama was wrong. Obama. Obama, you're wrong. Great movie. It's, it's, a, it's a solid burn, even though he was wrong. Like, it's a, it's a good joke, though he was wrong. Should he have gone after a different movie? What, like, what, where, like, should he have been like, I saw Elysium. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. I didn't see Elysium, but I believe people ragged on the informant. Okay. Though okay. I did not see it. He was good in Elysium. Some people had some issues with it. I was, like I said, Matt Damon is a good actor, so it's hard to pick on him too much. So, hey, uh, If I was Obama, can I can I put my two cents in here really quick on what I would have said if I was Obama trying to take a shot at Matt Damon? I'm going to give you permission here as Sir, Sir Mel Bardomery, whatever you called me. Mel Bardonius. Yeah, I'm giving I'm giving you permission. Go in. I would have Go said, Matt Damon, you sound like you're lost, kind of like you were in Saving Private Ryan, The Martian, Interstellar, any of those movies where you're just lost and people are looking for you. I I, I don't know, but I'm gonna do it smooth. I'm 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 okay with this one. So uh, it's a good burn. We haven't we haven't uh, we haven't talked about Greg Nolfi yet. This is his first film as a director, Dustin. How's he doing on his first time out? What, like, let me answer it a different way. What's the director's job? Okay, so the director is responsible for how the story is told, the pacing, the transitions. So he's kind of taking the screenwriter, the, the story that screenwriters have taken off of the story, but it's his job to present it and the experience of that. So he's in charge of like where it's filmed, what the feel of it's going to be how these tones, these colors, and all this stuff is going to be, how's the feeling of the movie, and then how is it presented? Uh, is it, you know, is it tight? Is it too long? Is it, you know, did, how, he's basically the lead storyteller. So, like, think of it as, like, you know, in the visuals and then the feeling of the movie are all under his control as the director. So, knowing that, like, how do you feel like he did? That's interesting, and thank, thank you for the 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 rundown because what i typically do is um when i think about a movie um my, i know this is a roundabout way of talking about it but my friend once said to me like best director is the cream of the crop award it's the it's the one that matters the most and i was like you know i really like best original screenplay that's yeah. that's my favorite one because i like when things aren't adapted this is adapted but i like when something is like brand new here's this thing that i thought would be a good movie and it is so i like to give credit to that but if the answer is what's the director's job is to, is to tell the story with good pacing and uh and and to, to make the experience whole i would say that this this satisfied me more than i thought it would and it it disguised itself as this sci-fi thriller fantasy magic thriller that was a romance story and because i was 
but when when I was excited to watch this movie again for this podcast is because it had to be because George Nolfi did a great job. That's how I'll answer the question. Okay, yeah. And Devin, what do you think about George Nolfi here as a director? He doesn't have a ton of movies under his belt. He's actually more of a writer more of the time. So, but how is he as a director here in the Adjustment Bureau? Well, he, yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree with, with what Dustin said. Um, but at the same time, he was also a writer on this movie. So not only was he the director, but he was also the, uh, one of the writers. Uh, he has also worked with Matt Damon on a few different films. Uh, he does have a, a hand in the Bourne series um, and as well as uh, Anthony Mackie as well. So I think he did a phenomenal job as far as directing is concerned. His uh, his his hands on that. I think he did phenomenal. Do I? Uh, when we go back, we talk about you really need to pay attention to this movie. The transitions uh, from time fr- uh, timelines uh, is very abrupt. So he would do, you know, he would have a scene and then boom, three seconds. They would show a scene three years later and there they are walking, you know, getting on a bus and, and you know, 11 months later. And that I could say is something that is, is, uh, dangerous in a movie if you're not paying attention you could easily get lost people lose interest almost at that moment if they don't know what's going on so they have to go back and look um but i, I like the edgy uh, the edgy side of it i it, it really makes you watch the movie and i i respect him for that yeah it, you know and first time director being handed these kind of tools Pretty, pretty awesome, really, when you think about it, to get to direct uh, Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. But uh, there were some things that I, I found myself wondering. Uh, I went back looking for it a second time, and these things weren't there. I kind of thought it would be fun to see a little visual focus given to some of the breadcrumbs that, uh, whether it be things that aren't specifically mentioned later, but little things that affect your movement. I was really looking for those little Easter eggs. So in the first 20 minutes of the movie, you think it's just a political campaign. There's no visual cues. And on a rewatch, I think it would be fun, whether it be like a pen that they focus in on or whether it be something that's plot critical. I thought it would be fun to put a few of those breadcrumbs that lead up to this point. I feel like, you know what, and, and it's only through discussion that I can think about what is it that I am wanting or not wanting. Because a lot of what I was thinking about when rewatching the movie was, is this something I would make fun of? Is this something that was done wrong i was almost looking and it was a delight to write down all the things i loved but there were things like uh there is a moment when uh richardson richardson slattery's character and his and his uh and his partner are running and his hat blows off and the partner yells out hat hat and it's hugely important that they get it and you maybe knew how 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 quickly russell i know this was your first time watching how quickly did you realize that the hat was important i just thought it was this part of the uniform you better not leave it behind i thought it was more of a can't go anywhere without your hat like we're the adjustment bureau we look good like we can't not look good you know like so i mean you know it's like it's like you know like Devin, you're you're you come from a military background like you don't want to show <laughs> exactly. up and like be missing a part of your uniform so i kind of thought it was that you can't, you can't not have your cover but as soon as you yeah. said that so, i said well you know what i can really appreciate that not having uh, all your uniform items available uh, readily so yeah i understand that that's where i was going with it so yeah i i didn't buy too much into it and that's the kind of breadcrumb that's even more on the nose than i thought that you have to do so i mean i'm kind of looking for those little subtle things that you know, really rich little details that you can plant for the third, fourth, and fifth viewing. 
I think you're exactly right because they're really heavy handed. When they give you something, they smack you across the face with it. Yes. Um, Perfect. Exactly. It happens a couple times in the movie where it's like, here's exposition. I'm going to tell you to your face. Some of it makes sense. Some of it's, I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Something about water messes us up. Uh, what? Yeah. That might come in handy later. <laughs> Look, looking at the, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, uh, we have to find a place that's completely covered with water. Are you about to go to the aquarium? Like, well, <laughs> this whole, oh, it's, it, it happens to be raining. Well, don't you control the whole plan? How right. don't you make it rain? <laughs> And here's where if I, I'm going to go ahead and pump the brakes because if I start going onto the things about the movie, even though I like the movie, if I start going into things that are like, oh, and this makes no sense, then I won't be able to stop. So as far as uh, breadcrumbs, there could have been more. I agree, Russell. Yeah. And uh, Nolfi worked Nolfi worked with John Toll, who's the cinematographer, and shots were planned in advance with storyboards, but they had to change because they're filming in New York City and the you know wonderful world of New York uh, throws you some, uh, some uh, veers in there. And the film was to keep the camera work smooth, though, with a dolly and a crane for formal shots when the Adjustment Bureau was in full control and things become looser in handheld camera when they're, uh, you know, basically running around and... Uh, things are veering from the plan. I did catch on to that, and I did like that. And so particularly at the end, there's this more frantic feeling as the fantasy is really kicking into gear and they're, they're door hopping. That change in the camera work, I really appreciate that move. Yeah, that is cool. And, and we're not talking crazy Blair Witch style. No. One of the other things that I thought was interesting, this part I don't like as much. This movie is shot with a very blue-gray spectrum. It is desaturating all the reds, the greens, and the yellows out of it. And it makes New York not glamorous at all. Like, I mean, I know they're trying to show the... They're not making this look like the pretty New York experience of... a. Uh, it's not necessarily portrayed as a glamorous scene. But uh, I thought the tone of this movie wanted to be a hair more playful than it was. And these these dingy blue-gray tones didn't necessarily... I don't know. That, that was a mood that I didn't necessarily want from this movie as, as the director. Did you guys like that? Or am I being, am I being too picky on that? I think you're right on. I think, I think you you're too. right on that, that, that it doesn't, it doesn't really fit together. I think that's one of the things that actually drove me away from seeing this. Cause I did see some imagery and stuff from this. And I thought this was going to be a heavier movie. If, if I had seen some, like, especially when they're in these love scenes, like there's like when they're at like the garden, like restaurant kind of, where they were together, even that doesn't seem like a very warm situation. I want the, like when you feel the connection between the characters, the actors are doing all the lifting of the work. I need the director to focus on their faces a little more, zoom in, darken up the background and use some warmer tones on their faces and stuff like that. I wanna see the warmth. I wanna see how the, the whole room seems to shift when these two people are together. Maybe I'm laying it on a little bit thick, but I think I want to see that visual feeling of warmth. And that's kind of lacking from this movie. I feel like this is where we kind of drive into that whole the realism of it, because it was it was so almost like handheld camera shot uh, that it, it really adds to the whole realistic factor of what is going on in the scenes. You know, it's almost like someone's just following this couple around with a video camera. And this is just how it played out. The only warm scenes are when he's on these rural farms. Yes. 
Which is the only, one. the only time you even see the sun. Even their love scene in bed is very cool. And like, it's not like a very warm experience. And then Terrence Stamp is like standing over them, like looming. How much more, how much more of an abrupt. Yeah, sunshine. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. There's definitely more comforting people to have like looking in on you than him because he's definitely very threatening. But I mean, um, <laughs> so I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, not that you want anybody to look in on you, but I mean, like he's definitely one of the more severe people to be looking in. Uh, on. We're going to go with the original statement, Russell, which is that you'd rather have someone else. You don't want to remove the watcher. You just want a different watcher. And that's fine. Yeah, there you go. You, you can be positive. You know, I mean, you can have P.B. Herman. <laughs> Oh, Jesus, no. <laughs> of all people, no. <laughs> I just got done I just got done doing it on the last episode. That's why it was popping in my head there from the Nightmare Before Christmas episode. But um, anyway, think how much more abrupt it is. Like if you're like sitting there and like you're really lulled in as a viewer and it's really warm, then all of a sudden, boom, it's Terrence Stamp standing there in the shadows. So again, I'm looking for that dramatic juxtaposition of like you're being watched the coldness the fisheye lens maybe even kind of notion of being observed and then counter that with like the personal i'm here with you in this moment and you can do that visually so and i don't mean to be picking on him it's his first time out as a director and i'm not a director and i've never done this before but these are things that are entering my mind i always put myself in the seat of like if i were the director what would i do to tell this and that those are some things that came to my mind so not a bad job i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lay out and this said you did a bad job nolfi like you didn't have like you know, horrendous problems. There were just some tonal shifts in the movie. Now, one thing that he did do, he didn't show the chairman or the godlike figure in this one. Did you like that, Dustin? I I did like that. I did not want to see, and I know this was the first name that came into my head, and nothing against the guy, but how upset I would have been if Morgan Freeman walks out of the door and like, uh, so you figured out the plan? I, no, keep him out of here. Keep the chairman out of my out of my sight. We yeah. want all, having these questions unanswered is the only way for this to make sense. Uh, the, the plan, rewriting it, who it is, um, who's who's, how many levels of bureaucracy do we have between uh the senior guys and the chairman leave it leave it to our imagination if we even want to think about it at all um, that's my quick answer yeah Devin, what was your thought on not showing the godlike figure no he nailed it i you took literally every word out of my mouth man <laughs> nailed it so you don't want to see like alanis morissette and dogma walking out there and you know touching them on the head and going oh i'm enlightened there initially was going to they were going to show the chairman in female form initially and they had uh, initially brought in a and it's difficult to pronounce name but a um middle eastern muslim female actress who was slated to be in there so shohari adashlu that's a hard one and i did not do that well I, my apologies yes yeah okay there you go there you go thank you her exact quote was, oh, my God, I love that role. Actors, we all know we're, we're at the mercy of the editing table, but uh, not to this extent. I had never experienced it. The director decided that I should play God, and uh, everything went great until I got a call from the director who had asked uh, to have lunch with me, and he was on the verge of crying and said, the distribution company believes that you cannot play this role. And uh, she believes that, you know, like, yeah, so she believes that, you know, yeah, she believes that... Uh, that's right. Although I'm asked what religion I am, I'm still raised a Muslim. I look like a Muslim. I'm a Muslim woman. And, the, you know, she believes that the distribution company didn't want to put the dots together to make that kind of a statement here. I'm 
you know, that's, that's a lot of emotional stuff to get your partner to have it pulled away from you. So my heart goes out to her. But I, I, I fight, frankly, I'm with you guys. I don't want to see the godlike figure in this one. I like this movie. I don't want to see it happen. Right. I think it worked better without seeing it. I got to ask, you said the Alanis Morissette thing. Was that Dogma? What was what movie was that? It was Dogma. Yes, it was Dogma. Oh, I like Dogma. Yeah, I do too. Um, yeah, I do too. yeah uh, but yeah, yeah, not seeing it is good. Not having all the answers is better. Um, let this movie suspend belief for a bit and just for instance I don't want to know I I don't think I can know I've watched the movie two and a half times I don't think like why does Harry care so much about this family there's a stuff about the dad the mom the brother that's there I don't even want to think about the family had to die before uh, David could take this path so I think he might have steered the boat I think it's alluded to that he might have steered the boat that you know david not have his parents in his life at a younger age than what would be natural and he doesn't like it and he's kind of getting the taste like of like i don't like this job this like this plan sucks and i have to execute these plans so i think that i think that's what he's feeling now to your point they don't tell you all of that which is better it's almost better if they try to explain too much and when they do explain stuff they just punch you in the face with it yeah uh you know turn it clockwise well what if i do it the other way oh you don't want to do that that's for us special people hint hint uh it's they, they just they slam you with it um and it's even knowing that it still doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the movie that much Devin, what did you think about some of the environments? Like, we're this is a very New Yorky movie. Did you enjoy, and that might have hurt Matt Damon, who's a big, big Boston guy. Like, I mean, I'm, like you know, running around uh, New York. Like at one point, he puts on like a fake franchise hat. They might have been like, "Can you put a Yankee hat on?" He's like, "No, not gonna do it." Uh, I mean, it, I'm glad they casted Matt Damon uh, for this versus maybe Adam Sandler, who's a hardcore New York guy. <laughs> it would have would have been a different uh, outcome, I feel like. But no, this I this is how I win. I <laughs> I uh, I think they honestly, when when you say that the cools and the darks and 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 the shooting, obviously from the director's perspective, he could have done a better job. In my opinion living in new york is almost that feel you almost have that dreary feel it's not it's not so vibrant it's very it's it's going at 100 miles an hour 24 hours a day seven days a week but in the reality of it uh new york isn't all that what what people would expect like it's it's a hard place to live in so if they're not accentuating colors if they're not making it this bright dreamy looking place in the background that's for a reason uh being you know being a new yorker uh you know in my blood it it, it honestly for me it felt like it's just a normal day in new york oh wow okay see I, I, as an architect when i traveled to new york and i've only traveled to new york and you know you go to these sections and you're just like it's a candy store of all these amazing architects from all these different eras and stuff like that. So, I mean, to me, it's like walking into a museum and like seeing all of your favorite paintings uh, put into this amazing exhibit. You're just like, man, I can't believe they have all these awesome paintings, but it's a city. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I came here to see that, but now there's that and that and that. And so that's having that background knowledge. Cause uh, for someone who lives there, it's like, oh damn it. I'm stuck on fifth street in traffic. You know, <laughs> it's like, ugh, this day can't get any worse. <laughs> like, And it's, there's just so many rich places in New York. I, I love New York. There are. Yes. A hundred percent. Except for that. The reason you might be stuck in traffic is because the Bureau has done that to delay you from something much Some more um, inevitable, favorable. Like, like <laughs> yes, that, that traffic jam was put there 
for your benefit. And it was caused by me by standing out in the street taking pictures of the Seagram building. So I imagine you know. the Adjustment Bureau might be based out of New York, if that's the case. If they're so, they are in there changing everybody's world. It's all, they're out of New York. Headquarters, New York City, go see them. There's somebody in a three-piece suit and a hat whose job is traffic jams, and he's the, he's got a whole traffic jam team. I dare you to go to New York and look for fedoras. If there's fedoras, the Bureau is there. They didn't pick the most glamorous parts of New York, but I did like that the conclusion of the movie when they're talking about the plan being rewritten, that was on top of 45 Rockefeller Center Plaza in Manhattan. That was a great view and a very fun place to end the movie. I really enjoyed that. And the other really fun New York spot that they picked that was particularly magical was the New York Public Library on Fifth Avenue. You know, that's in Manhattan. And uh, that's the big reading room. Basically, where the Adjustment Bureau is housed, and I, what a grand space that is, and that was a cool place to have in the Adjustment Bureau. I kind of was thinking it would be fun to have a few more of these really grand spaces in this high-rise that can't physically be there, like the inside of Mary Poppins's bag, like where the building is this big, but the inside is amazing. So I kind of thought maybe an unassuming exterior that was a super blank building, but then had these amazing vast spaces inside would be surreal, fun, and uh, I don't know, Emily Blunt is now Mary Poppins, so maybe she's in this movie and it's all coming together. Let's not forget Central Park. Uh, that was another highlight in the movie, that, you know, where, where the original coffee was supposed to be spilt uh, to delay Matt Damon from getting on that bus. Uh, also, the Statue of Liberty, uh, another pinnacle point of new york uh where they had that small scene running through doors and up on the island or whatever and uh and that is that is glam new york the end of the movie when they're on the top of that skyscraper i believe the sun comes out yep or it's is it dawn i think just this no the, the, ra the rainstorm stops so maybe maybe there was a choice in there were only certain times when less blue gray but it's still not really warm yellowy either so that's true we have very little warm yellow in this in this yeah. movie there's well, a lot of there's a lot of negativity within that within that love relationship there wasn't a lot of i mean there was there was the moments where you're like you wanted for them so badly to be together without being you know interfered with totally like when he you know, like when he's walking out of the hospital, like saying, I'm going to make some phone calls and walk out of your life. Totally makes sense to have like the mean fluorescent harsh lighting of a hospital and that fits the mood there. But there's a lot of warmth between them, too. So I don't know. Anyway, uh, wardrobe, though. Dustin, what do you think about like the, the, the garb of people in this one? So clearly, clearly I loved the um, the adjustment bureau's aesthetic. I loved that. And there was a time when I wore suits more. Yeah. Um, I don't anymore. Uh, when I was still teaching, that's – I liked looking nice and I like when, when uh, you get put together. Um, I love Emily Blunt's dress at the end of the uh, movie during the chase. Um, I think it was really important to keep – David Norris, uh, Matt Damon's character, looking like just maybe a fit person, not looking like Jason Bourne. Like he's not a hunk. He's he's solid, but he's not supposed to be like a big tough guy. Uh, he's not Dwayne the Rock Johnson, for instance. I would not like this movie if it were Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I take that back. I like everything he does, but um, I I, th I think uh, the 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 bureau's aesthetic is what I like best. Um, and then I'll go with uh, keeping Matt Damon looking like a normal person who's a congressman instead of Jason Bourne. That's what I'll go with. Yeah. 
Yeah. And by the way, you never know when one of these political figures, future presidents, might have to like take over an airplane full of terrorists that are hijacking it. And all of a sudden you have to get real tough. And I think he is the kind of president who could kick some terrorists off of his plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he could. I mean, he, he does. He, he gets apprehended by the intervention team. Uh, easily, but also every single one of like the people studying in the library, all the people that are like doing like the back end of their jobs, he body checks every single one of them. Like he, he's, he's like Derek Henry. He's just pushing through everyone. Um, so he, you know, he can be a little tough. Yeah. Every, when you go to the ballot box from the here on out, I want you to not first ask yourself, can I sit down and have a beer with this guy? I don't want you to sit down and ask, do I get along with him on the issues? I want you to ask yourself, can he kick Gary Oldman and some like mean Russian terrorist off of an airplane? If he, if it, if push comes to shove, like I'm just saying, like, think about it. It's Donald Trump, get off my airplane. No, it's not going to happen. No. Absolutely. You're on to something. Yeah. Matt Damon. Could kick some terrorists. Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, are we talking about President David Norris or President Matt Damon? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, uh, Devin, any any other thoughts on the uh, the wardrobe there? No, I think it was. I think they I did they did a good job. Uh, you know, Matt Damon really he holds that politician uh, you know lifestyle, and I think I think a lot of the truth is in uh, when he's doing his uh, famous speech that at Emily Blunt kind of forces him into is uh, you know they did they did studies and fifty six different ties were tested to see. I think a lot of that really went into the play uh, with how this movie oh, was was made up. I was gonna say, I was disappointed Emily Blunt uh, did not do all of those dance scenes that were in there. They they do a body double where they do face replacement uh, on there because my first thought was like this is really good. Did she do all of this? Because this is amazing, and uh, she did not. So that's a bummer. But uh, not to say that she didn't do a great job. Not everyone can do it all. Um, she, she did a great job. Um, I will say uh, I. I have this is, is this maybe I don't want to be too controversial here, but I like watching the dance stuff, even with the guys who are the, the, during the dance scene where she gets injured. There are people on the floor who are just like voguing their faces. When I say voguing their faces, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Madonna's vogue. Yeah, that's, that's all they're doing. And they might even be wearing masks. And I'm like, that's dumb. But the cool dance is happening. And um, what I was thinking about is. I like watching a cool dance, but I would not want to watch any dance scene with a dancer because I don't think he or she would be able to shut up about that scene. The same way that like if you were if you were to like when you go to eat out back in the before times when we could eat uh, in restaurants, uh, if you go and you have and you have a server and you're you're sitting with someone who is a server, how they can't shut up about it. Um I know this is a weird tirade, but I don't, I don't want to watch that. Like if dance is a part of a movie, I don't want to watch that movie with a dancer. So what you're saying is you don't want to travel to New York with me. Well, when we used to dance, Russell, when we used to dance, it was much different and much more private. So mm. would I want to travel to New York with you? Yes. But I, I would definitely be holding my tongue and being like, God, will you shut up if you want just stay out of Manhattan. Just keep him out of Manhattan. <laughs> That's how I feel when I watch military movies. I'm like, I, I pick it all apart. I'm like, oh, no, that guy's, his collar devices are in the wrong direction or, or something's up with that uniform. Let me pick it out. And that's all I'm focusing on for like an hour. Dustin, you're a big music guy. Now, 
like what do you think about the music of the adjustment bureau i had i wrote this out i'm gonna go off script it's forgettable in a good way oh explain why that's good why why do you want that well when you think of a great soundtrack i listened to the episode with nightmare before christmas it's a musical it's a great soundtrack there are non-musicals with great soundtracks uh, uh the nolan's films he's always got somebody is it uh ramen Duwal, Duwali who, who does his stuff um, there are people that can do great soundtracks so, so there are there are great soundtracks you know i'm, I'm not Han william i bring up his name we know that we don't need to bring up Han or we don't need to bring up great soundtracks this soundtrack did its job sometimes flubbed uh it was not a masterpiece uh there were reveals that could have been matched with greater sound design i think and they failed the injury on the dance scene the reveal of the hats and the doorknobs a bunch of stuff was like this is music that fits but I won't think about it ever again. I won't look up the score of uh, uh, here, an, an incredible score of uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Listen to that music all the time. That meant something. This movie, ah, forgettable in a good way. It, you don't care about the music because you're more invested in the world. Devin, what do you think on this one? The soundtrack and score. I agree. I, I, I it was not anything memorable. It was it was not a movie that was really based around the soundtrack. It was. I feel like this goes along with a lot of these. I mean, I I want to say these types of movies but there really isn't many types of movies like this but it really wasn't anything that stands out there's nothing i would say oh my god i wonder what that soundtrack sounds like let me jump in and, and find it on the internet and buy it but um you know it, it was it was it's an action love sci-fi movie go ahead and pinpoint that on a soundtrack good luck <laughs> yeah what are you what are you supposed to do um inception soundtrack good um matrix soundtrack good edge of tomorrow don't remember it looper don't remember it i'm sure it matched it just is it memorable nah, not really it's no it's no nightmare uh before christmas soundtrack we'll say it's that no nightmare before christmas yeah well i'm gonna come back and pick on george nolfi just a little bit more because like i said the tones of this movie are blue and gray and the, the you know this is a little more melancholy than i want to see because it is a very playful concept when they're running through all the doors in the last part of the movie, they have this jazzy remix of Sarah Vaughn's Fever, uh, the Adam Freeland remix. And this is the really fun part of the movie. And this is really fun music that like as Matt Damon's got the hat and he's running around and operating. And, and that's the one of the first times the music really comes alive. And even as I went back and watched it a second time, I just didn't feel like the music complemented the mood in a lot of ways because it, it was sadder in tone. And so not only are the visuals more down and sad than i want the rest of the movie to be the music also does that too and i feel like some of again this is the director saying what he wants the tone in the movie to be but maybe i wish that he wanted it to be just a little more playful and warm throughout if you think about the huge the spectrum of this movie from beginning to end if you watch the movie let's forget music for for you know for the moment Watch the movie and think about the synopsis of how the love story is is tried. I mean, it's it's a consistent struggle for these two people to find themselves in, in this and, and, and be together. So it's a constant peril. It's, it's constant, uh, you know, disappointment. It's it's like watching over your shoulder the whole time. How do you incorporate such a bright, you know, fun loving soundtrack into that you know they really want to project the fact that they're going through these struggles to try and have their love yeah and you, how, do you, how do you match music to that i think 
one of the things that we have not brought up, but maybe should be brought up is we are going through essentially the POV of, of, of um, David Norris. But the thing that I didn't think about until the second watch was, man, Elise gets hurt really badly, like three or four times. And I'm not talking physical. She gets her, she, she gets her love life devastated multiple times in the movie. So when he arrives at the courthouse, she is, and she does a great job portraying confusion and hurt, even if she's about to go on this big grand chase through a mythical subspace of New York that ends up all over the place. Like she gets hurt really bad. She's never really in a positive, happy tone. Wait, even ever. That's why her ex-boyfriend is calling. He's with him. (laughs) That's why the ex-boyfriend came into play. All right. So who's ready to hand out some awards? Take it away, man. I am ready. Let's do it. All right. Dustin, why don't you kick us off? Who's your MVP? MVP, crazy out of left field here. Michael Kelly as the best friend, Charlie Trainer. Without him, three of the main, maybe even four of the main plot points can't get to where they're supposed to go. Wow. He, he's the linchpin. He's the guy that gets you 15 rebounds, even though he's only got eight points, but you need those rebounds to win. That's how you finish a defensive position. Charlie Trainer is the MVP of this movie. Fun pick. Devin, how about you? Wow. That, that was great. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say Anthony Mackey. Uh, wow. Anthony Mackey at the end ties it all up. He, uh, you know, he really changed the game for both of them. He made that happen. Well, I thought I'd be repeating this one, but uh, Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm going to go with the obvious best supporting actor, Dustin. Okay, this one may be a little unfair, but my it's because it's, it's it's my favorite supporting actor, not the best supporting actor. I'm going with John Slattery. I feel like he he embodied what I thought the bureau was, and he had some great interactions with the main character. I liked his interactions with uh, Anthony Mackie as well. Sad thing about the movie: where is he in the last forty minutes? He just disappears. Yeah, it gets kicked above him, but I'm with you. That's my pick as well. And no, it's not just you. He did a great job, and he conveys the playful tone of the Adjustment Bureau that makes me then say, that's the tone I want for this movie. He's a big part of what I... Th- he's, 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 in the ledger, part, he's in the ledger of what I like in terms of the tone of this movie, and I just wanted the visuals and the soundtrack to be a little more... Be a little more John Slatterty. It's the same as well. I, I agree. John Slattery really set the tone. Uh, you know, he 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 created all the disturbance and what you would hope to be a smooth situation. The beginning of the movie, all the all the you know ups and downs. I really f- they were driven by John Slattery going against what Anthony Mackie wanted. Or you know, he was setting the tone. He was he was making the rules. He had to you know he was he was creating the um, the whole dimension of how the adjustment bureau is for you know for the remainder of the movie. Love it. Now, Hidden Gem, Dustin. Hidden Gem, I'm going to go with the moleskins, the little books that they hold. Very, It, it brings you into the world. That like, uh, I believe one, one time Slattery's partner says something like, her behavior is going off models. And as a guy who t- teaches statistics, like that is fun. And seeing them like, oh, these, these, these paths are diverging or wait a minute. We have three critical things coming up in those little books that they have. Very fun. Yeah. 
Now, Devin, Hidden Gem. The Hidden Gem, uh, for me personally, honestly, I, it's not really hidden. It, it, you know what makes a movie really lifelike for me and where you can really relate? When you see Jon Stewart talking to Matt Damon uh, <laughs> on the show, it's those those things right there really, it, it intrigues me. You know that they went out of their way to make things like that happen. Um, I think they're, they're not as... Uh, as represented as they should be in the movies. But, uh, there was a few, you know, CNN, they were on CNN and, and, uh, you know, they were talking about the movie. I don't know how all that movie magic happens. I, I truly believe in my heart. They're calling John Daly. They're saying, Hey, we're going to have a mock interview with Matt Damon. You're going to talk about this and that about him being a politician. I think it's awesome. A lot of big, big names. Uh, I, I mine, mine's John Stewart as well from the daily show. So recast Dustin. Okay. I have two options here, but I I don't like I didn't like having to recast because I like this movie as it is. It's the game. You got to do it. Here's my idea. Replace Terrence Stamp with Jared Harris. Jared Harris. Let me look this one up real quick. Okay. 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 Yes. Yes. All right. Very. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe we get Tom Hiddleston in there somewhere like as Slattery's partner or one of the more meaningful bureau agents. Get get Hiddleston in there. I could see him. I like that. I like that. Devin, how are you? I feel like Emily Blunt was a good choice, uh, you know, as, well, as Matt Damon's Emily girl. Oh, this is I, really, I don't want to. I don't think you can do I, that, Devin. I don't think you can do that. I don't that. want to. I shouldn't do this. I don't feel like you should. I don't, are you going to put Ava Green in her place or something like that? Just to, oh, no, oh, my God. Please that, don't do that. No, it wasn't. No, it's not that serious. I probably. Uh, it's hard to say, man. I feel like Emily Blunt was a good choice for this because she's a. Subtle actress, uh, you know. You look at her other films, A Quiet Place, things like that. It's it's good stuff. But I feel like Emily Blunt was just like, "Hey, who could we get? Oh, here she is. There she is. And here she is now. She's on our movie." I feel like they could have done a little bit better uh, casting the girl for this movie. I feel like Emily Blunt wasn't. So so okay, you're a casting director. This is it. Who are you putting in her place? That dry humor. I feel like I feel like that dry humor that that Emily Blunt. Uh, you know, portrays in this movie is not her real character. And I feel like that dry humor is almost, this is so bad. Um, Pitch perfect. Anna Kendrick. And I don't say, and at this point, 2011, Anna Kendrick was like a child, but Anna Kendrick today, it was that dry humor. Uh, if, if, if the adjustment bureau was released 2019, Anna Kendrick would have been my pick because of that dry humor. And I, I'd like to see her in a more serious role. You played the game. We, we appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to come after Anthony Mackie. I'm going to do a bit of an age change as well here, but uh, I'm going with an older uh, Harry, the character of Harry. I want Don Cheadle in this role. I think he would do a really good job of wearing the weight of not wanting to do this, but also hitting the humor and the warmth. So love Don Cheadle, and I think that he'd make a good Harry. Agreed. Best shot of the movie, Dustin. All right, I've got mine. It is difficult to do anything besides uh, Thompson, the hammer, staring over the bed. <laughs> but there is an awesome scene during the like the mini chase after he announces his Senate run when uh, there when uh, Slattery and his partner are running through doors, and the shot of the, the, the shot I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the whole scene, is they open a door and they run through a coat check closet and they open the coat check closet and they go to where they need to go because of their magic hat door and what happens is the attendant says excuse me sir excuse me and goes and like opens the door after 
and it's the regular coat check door and they linger i guess the the director lingers on her confusion for just enough to be like oh that's cool that's the best shot yeah now devin what is your best shot i i gotta say so there's two for me uh one i could say right in the beginning where the adjustment bureau is is first figured out you know they're they're showing themselves for the first time they're all standing on that building they're all in line they're all wearing for their fedoras i don't know what building it is but the scene where they're looking down on the street that is a really great shot that's a cool shot Uh, the other one that the other one that really captivates me is the time frame where matt damon is uh he's getting questioned and they have him in that warehouse where he's sitting in the chair and uh uh, what's his name Uh, john slattery um when when he lifts the you know the plank up off the floor and he trips in that scene where he's sitting in the chair they're in that warehouse it really gives that aura of like oh man i'm in something deep now i got all these fedoras walking around me in these suits and you know i think it was just a great a great scene it really built up the whole adjustment bureau as a whole yeah exactly um very fbi you know like oh we gotta keep this guy quiet like you know it was it was it was dark it was powerful it was great all right, my best shot is simply when uh, they're at the fantastic chase scenes at the end, they're going through doors. They go through a door and they come out and you see the water and the camera swings around and then they realize they're at the Statue of Liberty and it swings around Emily Blunt. She's got this very disoriented look on her face. This was uh, this was some pretty camera work here and uh, I, I like the big reveal of where they were in that. So uh, that, that sweeping camera shot's my favorite. There's a similar shot when they go into uh, Yankee Stadium. Yes, yes. I just thought it was more dramatic because you see the water from behind, like this camera's behind her shoulder, and you see. Oh, I'm not trying to step on your pick. I'm just saying, like that, that is a that is a cool memory. I believe that's in the trailer. Yeah, like it's good. Yeah. So best scene, Dustin. The the mini chase after he announces the Senate run. They do interact. The, the bureau Slatter and his partner interact with Matt Damon. Matt Damon has to. Like, like the, the the place of like the studio where she's gonna rehearse has been moved. They're they're manipulating it in front of them. They're not even being like blatant. And they're telling him like we're not gonna let this happen. Uh, during this, he walks into a diner's. Has anyone seen Cedar Park Ballet? Show me where it is. Human determination is winning out over this ethereal force. In the middle of it, you get jarred with the car crash. The dude gets hit by a taxi. That's huge. You are seeing Slattery and his friend go between the doors. They have funny banter. I believe he says something like, I hate downtown because they're trying to figure out all their door plans. And it ends with him being too late to stop Damon from seeing her dance. And he, he's, he, he's exhausted and he's breathing hard and he goes, I think he says something like, yeah, celebrate, go ahead and celebrate it. They're, they're not going to, you're not going to make it. You don't know what you're up against. And he just leaves. Devin, best scene. I got to say the, the, where they catch them both at the top, I think, was it the Empire State Building uh, at the end there where they catch them both at the top? And it's just, you know, the, the, the look of defeat, you know, uh, I think that was the best scene for me, honestly, or the best shot, I should say. Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, Rockefeller, uh, 45 Rockefeller Plaza. On was it Rockefeller? Yes, yeah, definitely good. I mean, not as in-depth uh, as Dustin, <laughs> but yes, 100%, that's mine. Uh, and my best scene is, I, I mentioned it's when the music picks up the best, it's where my favorite shot is. It is the surreal, fantastic chase scene through the doors. When Matt Damon puts that hat on and starts running around and 
running from the bureau and uh, running away with Elise. Loved it. That's my best scene. So, and uh, change one thing, Dustin. Okay. Uh, my, my first answer is just clean it up a little bit. There are too many strands that make you think it's too crunchy sometimes, but, um, I think it would be really good to show how the adjustment bureau has helped things. Mm, Nice. Like how cool would it be to see like these guys with these hats on stopping an assassination or, what they do with the character Charlie, where they're like, we need you to actually vote yes on this thing. Show that, show how they matter more than just, we really care about you and this chick not being together. Yeah. Some fun stuff in the background would be fun too. Like when they're in the adjustment room, like if you saw like a board with a diagram, like showing like this has to happen in this, like a flow chart, that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like that. Uh, Devin, what about you? Change one thing. I got to say, so in the movie where uh, where Matt Damon, David Norris is going to see Michael Kelly uh, or Charlie Trainer uh, at uh, he's meeting him at the building post uh, election loss. Um, I, I feel like they could have done a better job introducing the Bureau themselves. I feel like there could have been a better setup uh, to how how they introduce the Bureau to, you know, to the to the watchers, to the viewers. Um the walking in and they're, you know, uh, Charlie trainers getting scanned with these, these tools, which you never, you never see anything after that in the movie or whatever. Um, I feel like there could have been a better way to introduce them. Uh, they looked like very almost men in blackish, uh, walking in there. That's the vibe I got when I walk and he, you know, when, when Matt Damon walks in and he sees when he's coming into the building, it's really cool. Cause everyone's frozen in time and you're kind of like, Whoa, 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 what's going on here? Why is everyone frozen? That's a weird thing. And then they go, he opens the door and Charlie trainer is getting scanned by the bureau and you know, they're all wearing these crazy suits. Um, you know, and it's just, I feel like they could have done a better job bringing them to light, you know? I agree with you. Okay, mine's not going to be much of a surprise on this one. I'm going to say inject a little bit of humor and steer into the, um, the the playful nature of this. It should still be a romance movie first. The heavy themes should still run through. We're not turning this into a comedy. But I believe that there's a levity and a funness that a number of movies do achieve that can be there. And so I'm going to shift this tone a little brighter and I think that's going to lead to a more rewarding rewatch as well. So, Agreed. Best quote, Dustin. Now, this actually fits into what we all said, our best supporting actor, Slattery. This is Slattery's quote. And he does it with a levity that's unnatural. So I'll just read it. There's something I need you to understand, and I'm going to let you go. Very few humans have seen what you've seen today, and we're determined to keep it that way. So if you reveal our existence, we'll erase your brain. The intervention team will reset you. Your emotions, your memories, your entire personality will be expunged. Your friends and family will think you've gone crazy, and you, well, you won't think anything. Yes, give me more of that. Uh, Great choice. Now, uh, Devin, how about you? Best quote. So for this one, it was tough because there was a lot of good ones. Uh, the ending quote where Anthony Mackie's talking is a really powerful quote. Uh, I'm not going to say it because it might be yours, but I think one that stands out more to me uh, than anything is when Matt Damon is talking to Anthony Mackie. Matt Damon says, so you handle the important things. Last time I checked or last time I checked, the world's in a pretty screwed up place. And Anthony Mackie returns with it's still here. If we had left things in your hands, it wouldn't be. But Terrence, I think Terrence, there's Terrence, a little Terrence, bit deeper. On that one. 
Was that Terrence Stamp? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's still a good one. I wrote it down. So, so in my head and what I, what I saw was almost like a, that was almost a politician shot. Like if we left the hand, if we left the world in your hands as a politician, there wouldn't be a world left. You know what I mean? It's almost like people are have to take control of it. And if they don't, it would be an array. Mine's just moments after that. Uh, it's the conversation between Thompson and David as well. David says, all I have are the choices I make and I choose her come what may. And that's really, the that's, whole, good. that's like the, that's like the tagline of this whole movie to me. Like he chooses her. So we're come full circle. It's time to, it's time to conclude. But before we do give this movie a rating on a five star scale, half star intervals, Dustin, what do you give this movie? The Adjustment Bureau from 2011. I like this movie, but it is a three and a half star movie for me. Three and a half star movie. Okay, that's a... Out of five, three and a half stars. And Devin, how about you? What about you? I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably a 4.5 for me. Uh, It really encompasses a lot of different things. Uh, It's a one-stop shop if you're you're into any genre. Uh, And I, I think anyone can find some sort of enjoyment watching it, no matter what your genre of preference is. And I'm going to play the, I'm going to, I'm going to hit right between you guys. I'm going to pick a four stars. So, uh, I, I did enjoy it, but I, I found myself picking on a number of things that made me go, if I were doing this, I'd like to see this a little differently and knowing the source material. And I like what you did here, but I would do this. And that's not good for me to have that go off that many times. And so, um, it's a first time director and I'm going to put a lot of it on Nolfi and I'm not like bad mouthing him. I think he did a fine job, but he also didn't do an amazing job. So, uh, four stars for me. Now, Devin, do you want to help me pick a movie for next time? Yes. All right. I've got three music or composer driven movies here. And uh, so option one, The Immortal Beloved from 1994, the life and death of a legendary Ludwig von Beethoven. Besides all the work he is known for, the composer once wrote a famous love letter to a nameless beloved. Option two, Amadeus from 1984, the life, success and troubles of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, as told by Antonio Saleri. The, uh, the contemptuous composer who was instantly jealous of Mozart's talent and claimed to have murdered him. And option three, impromptu from 1991. In the 1830s France, pianist-composer Frédéric Chopin is pursued romantically by the determined individualistic woman who uses the name Georges Sand. Amadeus it is. Fine. Let's do it. All right, so remember all the Lords, Ladies, and Knights, the Retro Movie Roundtable. We thank you for listening, and we want to hear from you, so subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com if you want to go into more depth, or if you want to be on the show. Thank you for listening, and uh, if you want to support us, check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. We'll put that show, they'll put any contributions to make the show better. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Devin? Thanks for having us, man. Such a good time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. All right. And uh, Dustin, thank you so much, man. Thank you both. This was fun. Can I say something? Hey, audience, Retro Movie Roundtable, be excellent to each other.